Welcome to the J-Buck Podcast. Today is Wednesday, May 27th, 2020, and I've got a few topics swirling around, and it seems that I do best when I can just touch on topics as they come up. That's kind of how my how I'm able to work with my subconscious the best to say what is in my heart the easiest. So um, maybe what I'll do is start off with maybe a lighter topic, and then as my podcast goes through, I'll get to the heavier things. So that's going to probably be the way I do it most times. So just because I'm new at this, it takes me a while to get into the meat of what I'm trying to say. So if you're listening and it sounds boring at first, it's because it is. <laughs> uh, usually it takes me to, to about three-fourths the way to the end where I get to the victory of my, of what, my intent behind what I have to say. It's because I am a woman. My brain does think in circles. I don't like to think in straight lines unless I'm trying to follow instructions to make something. Um, That's because I am very much in tune with my emotions and the, the deeper things that I'm trying to say that are not easy to say. A lot of the things that I'm trying to say, it takes a while to find the words to produce the meaning that I'm going after. Uh, and, and while it's a pet peeve of mine, <laughs> when I listen to people and they take forever to introduce their topic, that's just evidence that this is unplanned, but unplanned allows more magic to happen. I've noticed as I've, I've actually had the opportunity to teach in church, um, as a Relief Society teacher. And I've learned that if you will just put your lesson down and just follow the Holy Spirit or follow, um, the deep, the deep promptings inside, that that's where lives are touched, hearts are touched, and lives are changed. And so I really know that that method works. It's a little different on a podcast because there's not people in front of me, which I know, though, that <clears throat> time in in the spirit world, in, in the other half of our brain, because only one half of our brain is in time. The other half of our brain is not in time. And so people actually know ahead of time if they're going to be listening to this. And I can actually, um, that will affect what I say. If you can believe that or not, I've had that happen and I've seen it happen as I've listened to other people. There's been times where people have literally like, it felt like they were talking to me in the spirit because it's like our spirits were, were collaborating on what they were going to talk about. I mean, we're just really incredible beings because we have a spirit within our body and that spirit is not confined to the body it can go out and reach across the universe and connect with with all kinds of life you know sometimes I don't know if you've ever had this thought but (laughs) if you ever see like a cow in a corral and you just think man what a boring life um but since then I've thought you know but animals they have spirits too and are able to communicate too and you don't know what they're experiencing as they're just munching on that grass they could be you know in their spirit traveling the universe also and learning all sorts of things so if if having a physical body is just like having a a chair to sit on and there's so many other things that our spirit can do um so if we're struggling with our well-being here in the physical um then it could mean that we haven't really learned how to steward our physical space as well as we could. Some people are really good at it 
and they're able to operate very functional lives. And you just want to look back, sit back and, and just be in awe about it. And it's like, how are you able to get so much done? How are you able to have such a good mental health? What is it about you that is enabling you to be so well in a world where there's so much suffering and poverty and disease? Um, I like to think my husband is that way. He's very much a lighthearted spirit. And when I'm around him, he uplifts me because he's usually in a pretty stable mood. And so, you know, we all know what it's like when you're with someone and they bring you down and, uh, you can feel it, can't you? When someone's in the room and they're bringing you down versus somebody who's lifting you up. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. I think we're here to help each other, lift each other up and, and so forth. But at the same time, you know, even a, even a small child will be required to hose down if they're covered in mud before they come into the house. So it's, it's not about not loving people. It's just about um, being aware of the effects of, of you know, that negative cloud that can ex exist around people. And that's something that we need to be able to help address and, and save people. You know, there's been a lot of Psycho psychological experiments and I took a psychology 101 class and it's interesting because if you want to get healed from mental health problems you're recommended to go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist and when I took my psychology 101 class like I just took a 101 class but still what we learned in that class was all about behavioral control and none of it was about mental health it was only about behavioral control and we know there's the you know Pavlov's experiment where the dog salivated at the sound of a bell. Um, Jared Skinner, I think is his name. Maybe it's not Jared. So, something B. Skinner. And sorry, I do have some kids in the background. Um, so I try to pause it, but I don't always get it perfect. Um, you know, he was a behavioral psychologist. And so a lot of the experiments that have been done in the realm of psychology has not been about mental health. It's been about behavior control. <laughs> and if you go to a psychiatrist or psychologist, I'm assuming that as you continue on in the psychology classes, you get more studying on behavioral control. And so they're actually not trying to make you mentally well. They're actually just trying to control your behavior. And you think about it, that's a great thing. I, you know, I read the book, um, The Body Keeps Score. Great book about the the guy who I think he was the one that helped discover like Prozac, one of the main drugs people take with mental health problems. And he, he just explained how the very first woman who who took it, instead of just kind of blowing around all day, she was able to go do all these things with her family and it changed her life. And as somebody who's trying to find help, like he was working with people with PTSD from uh, the Vietnam War if you're trying to find answers and you find something that just like makes that switch in someone and they start their behavior changes, then that's a huge breakthrough. Obviously, you know, that's, that's a huge thing to be celebrated. And that kind of led the way into these, um, SSRIs into these drugs that can help heal people and that can help give people their life back. Um, and throughout the course of the book, you know, he does talk about the, the pros and cons. And I'm, again, I'm, the book I'm referring to is The Body Keeps Score. And the 
person who wrote it doesn't quite come to mind right this second, but the title is The Body Keeps Score, and it's about trauma, basically. Like, when you've been through a traumatic experience, like, your body doesn't forget what you've been through. And um, he did these interesting experiments where he had these ink blots, and he would have these veterans of the Vietnam War come and look at the ink blots, and he said, tell me what this ink blot is. And these veterans would start describing these horrific, like, bloody descriptions and it was just an ink blot and he was able to see that this is like their subconscious coming through saying you know I've got some major pain and horror inside that I have yet to process and it's causing the PTSD it's causing me to shut down and not be able to function and I think that's really really fascinating because I don't think most people know that like the person who like paved the way for SSRIs he was actually studying how people respond in post-war traumatic situations and his whole book is about how the body responds to extremely horrific and traumatic events so when was the last time that you knew someone with depression and they were able to tell you that they had been through a war and what it turns out is that the way we do birth in this country is actually causing people trauma. People are being born with so much trauma that they're having experiences where they're actually identifying with the placenta as it dies, as opposed to the baby. And so then they have this horrible depression because they have this repressed traumatic experience of dying because we cut the cord too early or because we induce before it's time. There's a million things that we do uh, that make birthing a horrific <laughs> experience. It's already hard enough just, just to be born, just to make it to life as a baby, as a fetus. But the things we do in our Western society, you know, our diets, what we eat, some women, they don't eat enough when they're pregnant and that traumatizes the baby because they don't have enough food. They don't have enough nutrients and they have to fight for every last bit of nutrients. And the work on prenatal trauma is extensive. And one person I recommend is Grant McFetridge, peakstates.com, because he's not just studying like behavioral control that most psychologists, and I'm sorry, but the best psychologists in the world were Nazis. Okay. But... He's studying mental wellness. Like, how do we get people out of these post-traumatic pasts and into the present? Because if we can do that, it will cure people. People will no longer have depression. Depression is just your adrenal glands are so burned out from the fatigue and from the stress that you can't feel anymore. Just your, your, your receptors in your brain, they st just stop working because they were working and you wouldn't pay attention to them. What am, I, what am I talking about? I'm talking about the fact that, like, the reason why we want to live is generally to have good experiences. And if you go so many days and so many hours and so many years of negative experiences, the brain just really shuts down. Like, why am I even here? The body is sending pain when it's, you're supposed to stop behavior. But we're taught from a very young age to ignore the body. Sit in your chair. You can't go to the bathroom right now. You can't get a drink right now. You can't play right now. You have to be still. You have to do this work. You can't do the work you want to do. You can't play. Um, you should be seen and not heard. I mean, that's something that we don't hear often anymore. But 
the you know the older generation they heard that and and then we have like these outbreaks of like depression <laughs> well i'm sorry but we have depressed ourselves to the point of sickness so we have to ask ourselves do we want to be robots and just do what someone else tells us to do or do we want to do what we want to do they have to ask that question and if we want to do what we want to do then can we continue living in a system where we allow other people to tell us what we can and can't do most of our lives or should we create a system that the founders try to create where we have unalienable rights to pursue happiness and no one can interfere with that because they're given by god they knew they knew why we needed to have it stated in the law of the land that people are free endowed by our creator because if someone that isn't in our body tells us what to do, then we can't respond to our own body's needs. And if we don't respond to our own body's needs, then our body starts shutting down. We don't feel at all. Depression isn't feeling sad. Depression is not feeling at all. And that's worse. Okay. It feels better to feel sad than to feel depressed. Cause when you're depressed, you don't feel it's like being buried alive. And then we have on top of it, the behavioral control research that was started by the Nazis, or probably before that, Mystery Babylon, as the Bible explains it, and passing children through the fire and doing occult, bloody things to cause behavioral control for the secret, secret world order. I was just watching uh, just the movie on Hulu yesterday. It was called Earthquake, 10.0 Earthquake, about an earthquake in Los Angeles. And people were fracking too deep and it was going to cause an earthquake. And one of the guys started talking about super soldiers, right? And the guy driving the helicopter is like, oh, no, here we go again. And I thought that's so funny um, because that's exactly like how people respond when you start talking about um, the secret societies trying to control the planet <clears throat> but this is the way i look at it a parasite's gonna do what a parasite's gonna do and it's our question the question isn't is there a parasite or is there not because there's always parasites everywhere the question is are we Im inviting them in are we creating an environment that gives them power and that is where you start to get interesting answers and are the richest people on the planet good people or bad people? Okay, because you can see by the people who have the most power on the planet whether or not we are funding parasitical behavior to get rich or good behavior to get rich. So that's something we can all take as uh, evidence. I remember um, my dad used to work for Novell. He he went. He talked about this time when Microsoft sued Novell, or Novell sued Microsoft because Microsoft bought something from Novell, and then they like put a point one. They made their version, their point one version of it, and so they basically stole it, and they lost. Novell lost. Microsoft was able to steal. Novell's work.
And my dad just said, this is how it is. This is a dog-eat-dog -dog society. Okay, so if we've created a dog-eat-dog -dog society and the people who are able to screw others are the ones that are getting powerful, those are the people our judges are supporting. And how did we get those un unrighteous judges in? Hmm. Maybe by those people who are working behind the scenes. The parasites. Then the evidence of the parasites is all around us. You know, you don't have to see them through a microscope to have all the bodily issues that come with having a parasite inside you. Speaking of parasites, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about demonic possession. Because people think that if you have a demonic possession, you should just go get someone to cast it out of you, right? And all's good. Um, but that's not how demonic possession works. Demonic possession works through a doorway, an opening, a principle. Okay, so our bodies are supposed to protect us from any kind of demonic possession, any type of spirit uh, possessing us that doesn't understand goodness. And when, for example, you're experiencing some sort of physical pain, your body is the first one to tell you to stop what you're doing. It's hurting you. So if you, the body has a threshold for what it can handle. And if you go over that threshold, then the nervous system can't record anymore. And it actually shuts down, prepares for death. So usually when we cross a threshold of how much pain you can handle, the body shuts down, starts to die. That's called a near-death experience or a trauma. Trauma is when you're past the point of being able to receive the pain receptor information and you realize that this is a lost cause. You just start shutting down, prepare to eject from the body. A lot of the behavioral control Nazi scientists were after the information of how badly can we torture someone before they start to lose consciousness. So they wanted to torture people up to right up into that point where they started not being able to feel it anymore. So they could use that in their behavioral control experiments. And so the body has a threshold of what it can handle. If you cross that threshold, you start losing touch with the body. So the body is our savior. Well, not our savior, but our help meet. The body's our help meet. Supposed to help us so that we don't cross the threshold of what the human body can endure and experience. So like evil people, they purposely want to cause suffering to the point where you push that threshold. So if I'm a physicist and I want to build a table, then I'm going to think, okay, what is this table going to handle? It's going to handle 300 pounds of weight. Then I need a table that can handle 300 pounds of weight and not buckle. At least that's how tables used to be built. Nowadays, you can't get anything that doesn't start buckling on you. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a metaphor, right? Is uh, furniture. Uh, things in our society, they actually mimic our mental state. How couldn't they? So it used to be that if you received a piece of furniture, it was built to last. I mean, it was built over and above the threshold level. 
Well, nowadays they make furniture that's just barely under the threshold level so that it breaks fast so that you have to buy more. <laughs> so if that's the way we're building furniture, maybe that's the way we're building our minds. So there's a bit of food for thought. Nevertheless, if I'm going to build a table, it's going to have a threshold. I need to build it strong enough so that that threshold doesn't hurt so that it can do what it was meant to do. So our physical bodies, they have a threshold that helps us do keep us alive. That's what they're meant to do. So a behavioral control Nazi, they're going to, you know, a demon, right? A demonic principality. What are they going to do? They want to push the body past the threshold. Okay. Talk about drug addiction. You're pushing the brain past the threshold of what it can process. The feelings of, of pleasure are just a counterfeit because you're causing it so much pain that it's going into delirium. <laughs> so that's not healthy. That's, that's what a demonic process is. It's overwhelming the system. It's overwhelming the physical body until it can't take it anymore. And it starts to go into delirium. It can no longer process information correctly. So a demonic principality, a demonic entity, it can't just come in and inhabit a person. Because we would know. We'd be, oh my gosh, there's this big dark thing. Like, get away from me. It has to have an entryway. So you get a baby that's born and wants to be held by its mother, right? And instead it's whisked away. Or, you know, nowadays we even kill babies, which is horrendous. And in that last few seconds of that baby's life, it's going to have a demonic entity possessing it. Because a demonic entity, they just want to feel what it's like to have a body. Even if it's just for a few seconds, that's a high for them. So just like, you, you know, it's by not washing your hands and drinking dirty water, that's how you get in a parasite eating uncooked food or what have you, um, being in a position of emotional pain or physical pain for a very long period of time breaks down our threshold and eventually allows that demonic entity to push its way in and possess the, the person. And they literally, the threshold's been broken. They can't fight it out. So the battle against demonic possession is very much a battle of taking care of our body making sure that we stand in a holy place. We're not putting our bodies under the influence of mind-numbing chemicals, um, that we surround ourselves with loving relationships. And we put ourselves in situations of good, loving, healthy environments. If you are constantly in a negative environment, and there are ways to protect yourself, you know, faith, the power of love, your belief in love, all those things can protect you. But if we're talking about a percentage of the population, there's going to be a high percentage of people who don't respond well to extremely painful, repetitive um, life situations that cross the threshold of what was intended for the human body to experience. So a kid who's a, a child who's constantly berated because he's not good enough at this and he's constantly like expected to perform a certain way or he displeases his parents you know that's going to break him down it's going to give a it's going to break down his threshold of wanting to be happy wanting to please his parents wanting to be loved to where a demonic entity could get in and cause a permanent resonance there until and it may be his life's mission to get to the point where he realized that those things his parents were doing to him was abusive and wrong and did not put himself in an environment where people treat him that way.
some people they have like an immunity to certain demons so like you could put them in an environment a horrible 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 environment and they still wouldn't catch the demon because they have immunity to it so they may have had it before or they may have a belief system that is so sound and so perfect that even in, there is no threshold basically they're super superman superwoman um that's not the average person though the average person has a threshold of what they can take and anybody who's you know suffered with mental illness you know you know those feelings and there's no guilt there you should not feel guilty um that that threshold in your life has been crossed and um it, you de you're deserving of compassion we have to, we have to come together and create an environment where people aren't pushed past their limit of what they can handle now <laughs> the evil satanists they're on purpose trying to create systems in society that cause as much pain and harm as possible they're not just trying to get demons to possess people that is not their goal they're trying to get demons to possess communities of people that's the best way to destroy people is it's not just about a demonic entity controlling a person it's about a demonic entity controlling the whole area whether that's the home or the community or the church or the city or the state or the country but they're going for world domination why wouldn't they they're going for world domination and so in order to win they have to cause as much pain and suffering as possible every time there's pain and suffering they're dedicating it to lucifer and then you got the christians who are trying to you know pray to dedicate that to christ and it's kind of up to the individual who they choose to believe once you cross that threshold it's it's kind of up to them at that point which is why it's so important to understand what the emotions are supposed to do for us okay because what the the dark side will do is try to get your emotions to be something that controls how you react to a situation so something happens that you don't like you feel a negative emotion you choose to respond in a negative way that's how the dark side wants you to think now the way that the creator the opportunity you have to think in the eyes of the creator the way the creator thinks in my opinion my own personal walk with him is that whether or not something happens to you in your past you can you can determine whether or not you liked it or not and then you use that emotion to create what you want in the present and the future okay so i didn't like what it felt like to get knocked down i'm not going to put myself in this position to get knocked down again and so instead of reacting you you start creating your own environment i didn't like living in a swamping environment i'm going to drain the swamp you start to become empowered so the things that caused you pain can actually cause you good but you have to be smart you have to want things being smart on itself isn't isn't being whole you need to use your ability to process information intelligently to accurately know what it is you want because so many people they don't even know what they want they're so out of touch with themselves they don't even know that they're allowed to want things and once you know what you want you start creating it you start walking toward it and doesn't that bring you joy have you ever seen how a kid reacts when you threaten to take away their candy like they'll they'll fight you <laughs> they might even smile at you like oh yeah no you're not <laughs> i want it i want this you're not taking it away from me how dare you you know if we can become more childlike kids have to go through this every single day i know i'm a mother i watch my kids go through this every single day 
where there's something that they want and someone else comes along, thinks they're bigger and better, and they're going to take it. And what does that kid do? He protests. He screams, he cries, he yells, he hits, he pushes, he grabs, he pulls, all these things because that child knows what he wants. And that's when the emotional regulator can step in, mom or dad, and comfort the child and say, let's make a deal because you're not the only one who wants things, they want things. And the emotional regulator is there to make everybody happy. And if ultimately someone doesn't get what they want to say, you know what though, I love you anyway. My love for you is bigger than this toy. And maybe you can't get that ice cream cone, but look at me. I'm here and I love you. And love covers the multitude of traumatic experiences. That's why we were born into the world with a mother and a father. So that we could have emotional regulation when things don't go our way. But we're not supposed to stop wanting things. The, chi the children are not supposed to stop playing with toys because now mom and dad loves them. It's to get them through a rough spot, but then they go back to playing with the toys because ultimately the reason why they're here is to enjoy their day and play with some toys and learn a few things. And what happens by the time we're grown up is we're so dissociated from what we want that you can put a toy in front of us and we sit there and say, what do we do? Because we don't even know how to play anymore because we've been taught we're not supposed to want anything. Well, that was on purpose. <laughs> I think it was on purpose. Because when you get out of touch with what you want... You can be controlled to give other people what they want. So we don't have to become bullies. We can recognize that we're not the only people on the planet that want things. But that doesn't mean we stop wanting things. It means we work, we, we work through whatever problems we have. Um, you know, James Madison, Thomas Jefferson, they, they wrote into the Federalist Papers how important it is in a government, in a, in a country, to have a lot of faction. There needs to be a lot of small groups that disagree with each other. That keeps uh, one group from becoming a monopoly, which was not what the founding fathers wanted. They did not want two major parties. They wanted a lot of different parties. They wanted a republic society so that min minorities' voices could be heard. In a purely democratic society, only the majority wins. And when only the majority wins, you get some bad ideology. Think the Dark Ages and putting leeches on people. The, the majority isn't always on the right track. There needs to be a lot of different people with a lot of different ideas instead of large overarching monopolies. But the Satanists, what they want, like to be an octopus, they want to have monopolies. They want to have the only say in food regulation, the only say in farm subsidies, the only say in health protocols, the only say in birth management. You know, if, if a birthing center has a child die, everyone in the world knows about it. The news publishes it. They make it into a horror story. And yet they don't talk about when babies at the hospital die because that's that's the chosen satanic protocol. I'm sorry, but a lot of the Nazi scientists behavioral control experiments are taken have been committed, you know, just a lawsuit in Canada. Dr. Cameron, he was using electrotherapy to give women grandma seizures. One woman that did the lawsuit, she she had to relearn everything. I mean, the man just about wiped her wiped her nervous system clean of all memory and you guys don't think that satanism exists yes it does exist <laughs> and we know that in history with hitler but 
this idea of, of this communism, collective majority rules mindset, it just can't serve the needs of the individual. The, the individual knows what they want. And while they have to learn how to get along with others around them that want the same resources, it's not as bad as having one overarching entity telling everybody what they can and can't do. When that happens, people get out of touch with their own needs and they get sick and they start to fail. They start to become unhappy and miserable and you cannot have happiness if you don't have freedom. And that goes for our physical health and that goes for our mental health. So we are in a war, whether you like it or not, we're in a war against principalities because there are principalities trying to take over not just bodies, but whole communities. And it goes with our belief systems. The average person today believes what they're taught in the colleges. There isn't really very many conservative colleges out there teaching the truth. Women are not being taught what traits to develop so that they can contribute to the world in a loving and healthy way. If you're a woman, think about it. What traits do you have as a woman that can contribute to the world in a healthy way? Okay, you can't answer that question unless you go back to conservative values. It's, it's being a wife and mother and being a nurturer. That's how a woman can contribute to the world. It's not by, um, see, they don't teach you this in sex ed, but this is the truth. If you're a woman, if you use two methods of birth control every single time you have sex, you're still going to have two kids. So if you are not having sex in a married relationship, you're either going to have to have a child outside of wedlock or you're going to have to have an abortion. And we live in a world that says marriage isn't needed anymore because of birth control. Well, that's a lie. How many women even use birth control every time? Let alone one form of birth control. But the statistics go, you could be using two forms of birth control every time. And within the course of your reproductive years, which it's, you're the most fertile when you're young, and that's when most women are not having sex in marriage, you're still going to have two kids. And you don't think that there's a war on. Not just to, to give evil entities our bodies and minds, our future, our posterity, but our communities. There is a war. Because if there wasn't, then the truth would be told, wouldn't it? If there's a suppression for truth, then that, that's an active affront on our, on our health and well-being. And they haven't suppressed freedom of speech, but they've done a pretty good job saying you can't say anything if you're not licensed. So that's a pretty good way of suppressing freedom of speech. So what can we do about it? The answer a lot of people are finding is um, meditation. And yoga, which I'm not, you know, I still haven't made up my mind about yoga. <laughs> uh, when I've done it, it's helped, but I also don't like the idea of the, the religious binding to, to demon things. But I like Denise Austin, and she does yoga stuff too, and usually that helps me feel good. So I'm, I'm not aware. But people are finding things that are helping them, and the things that are helping them are getting them in touch with their body again. Eating healthy, exercising, but not too hard. 
It's not about overdoing it. It's about enjoying it. Because if you, you know, what the behavioral scientists know, if you enjoy it, you're going to repeat it. If you don't enjoy it, you're not going to repeat it. So whatever your lifestyle changes, if you're not enjoying it, you're probably not going to keep doing it. And you probably need to take that into account with whatever regimens you're creating for yourself. Okay, so if we don't get in touch with our bodies, then we're much easier to control. And that doesn't mean that when you get in touch with your body, you do whatever you want. Because that's the other end of the spectrum. You know, do as thou wilt. No, you need to be smart about it. You need to get in tune with what you want and then find a way to do it in a way that blesses the world around you. That gives to the world around you. If you really like to eat, then you can plant things. Then not only will you have food to eat, but others will have food to eat. So there's ways to get what you want. You could steal it or you could build it. So you have to know what you want and then you have to go about, that's why we have, that's why in the past we've had religion. It was a structure where we could get what we want through a system of values that was beneficial to the world and environment so that we're making a good environment, not a bad one. Values are, are never a bad thing. Well, they, they can become oppressive. Once they're used to become oppressive, they're a bad thing. But the original reason why we have values, like why we have marriage and why we have a society that like everyone comes to a reception because it was supposed to be, we're supposed to support each other, living values that blesses the community. Hopefully children being born to a married couple is going to bless the community versus an unmarried couple. So that's why you invite all your friends to your reception. That's why you get a government license because it was supposed to be like a societal agreement that we're all going to support you in this marriage because it's going to bless not just you, but, but me and the whole neighborhood and the whole community. And that's what churches were for. You know, we're going to come as a community, give each other support and living principles that help the society so that we can get what we want and be happy. Religion wasn't supposed to control everybody and to, to hurt people and to make people feel guilty. <laughs> it was just simply a way as a community for people to get along without the government forcing everyone to do what one entity said. And it's been very difficult to create a society or a kingdom that didn't have that end up happening where that one authority or that one president or that one bishop took more power and authority than what was good for people. But it's kind of like the people's fault because how come one person's able to have that much power? How come the people didn't say that's enough and stand up to it? You know, if it's the people's job to be able to tell the head, no, that's not helpful to me. And that's why I like um, this concept of masculine and feminine. Like the masculine, you don't have to obey the feminine. You don't have to worship the feminine. You just need to listen to the feminine. A man, you don't, you just need to accept the influence from your wife. She might actually have things to say that will help you. And it's similar to the body. If the, if the wife is like the body and the, the man is like the mind, then the mind needs to accept the input from the body in its decision making. No, the body doesn't need to like control the mind. Um, but the mind needs to be accepting influence or else it could hurt the body. I mean, we inherently know this when it comes to music. You know, you're supposed to have the bass pedal tones and you're supposed to have the supporting tones and you're supposed to have the melody tones. It's supposed to work as a whole. The contrast is a good thing. It's supposed to work together. So in music, we can listen to something and say, wow, that was really balanced. 
find peace. But then in our lives and our relationships, we think, no, it's all about that base. No trouble. <laughs> it's all about the, what the man says, not the woman. It's all about what the mind says, not the body. It's all about what the church says, not the congregation. And we just get out of balance and it's supposed to be working as a whole. And, you know, I, I like to think that a, a bipolar brain is one where you've got the right and the left instead of working together as a whole, they're grabbing power from each other. And you can see this in relationships where a married husband and wife, they're not working together. They're working to oppose each other. I, I guess what comes to mind is like Ricky Ricardo and Lucille Ball. You know, it was about, oh, she wanted the power so much and he wanted his um, power so much. And Maybe Lucy was a little bit more power hungry than, than Ricky. But the fact is that instead of working together, it was all about how could they punish each other more? How could they get to the other? How could they stick it to each other? And, you know, they did end up getting divorced. And it was, I mean, they made a lot of fun. Um, the I Love Lucy episodes, they, they're really a lot of fun to watch. But we can't function like that. Like the male and the female, that's not a good solution for long-term happiness and functionality. We have to, to value each other and work with each other and not try to pull power from each other. And we've got to stop seeing it as a threat to our humanity if one or the other side has power. If that power is used correctly, it's got to be to bless us. Okay, so I said that wrong. So if, if they are using power to hurt you, then you do need to stand up to that. But hopefully you can get such that if you're using, if you're the one with the power, you're listening so well to the people that you have the power over that you're using it to bless them and help them so that they want you to be in power. See, see, that's what good power is about. That's what Heavenly Father is all, all about. It's like, I know if I get into the car with Heavenly Father, he's going to take me to get an ice cream cone. So yes, I'm going to let him drive because I know he's going to be good with his power. And, and of course there's that, that counterfeit where we give people power and they use that to abuse us and hurt us. We got to, be able to discern but that doesn't mean we just throw away all power <laughs> power can be a good thing those that have extra knowledge are usually the ones that are in a position to provide power so do they use that extra knowledge to help you or do they use it to hurt you you have to make a judgment and that goes for relationships that goes for the the relationship of the you know our our personal relationships are are a lot like our internal relationships with our mind and heart and body and i've talked about the Pirates of the Caribbean movie uh, is really good, like the first one, for for instance, because you've got Jack Sparrow. He represents the reptilian brain. He he's got a compass, and it just points to what he wants. That's like the physical body. It thinks with sensory experiences. It likes certain experiences. It doesn't like others, and it, it tries to go after what it wants. Then you've got the the uh, the Crown and the British government, and they are the, the mind. They're the control system. They're the ones that make rules so that everyone can be happy. And they're at war with each other. The, the physical body and the mind are at war with each other. A lot of times the mind is just too hard on the physical body, and that's what that whole movie, The Pirates of the Par Caribbean, is about, is about the, the heart, which are the main characters, I think Elizabeth and um, William Turner, right? They're, they're the heart. They're the ones that, like, yeah, the body takes the heart captive, Right. The, the pirates take the heart captive to get what they want. The British take the heart captive to get what they want. <laughs> and the heart just poor, the poor heart gets manipulated and abused. But the heart just loves everyone. The heart wants what's right. And so 
the heart has an important part to play in making sure that the body and mind are working the way they're supposed to. Um, and there's a scene I love because it shows, it's kind of at the beginning of the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie where Jack Sparrow's trying to commandeer a ship. <laughs> so he walks off his ship, that his little boat that just like filled with water and drowned. And he, <laughs> he wants to take one of the new ships. And so he's walking toward it. Well, first of all, you know, he's supposed to pay a shilling or something. And so he does, but then he wants, he goes and steals the bag that of money that the, uh, the note taker has left on the desk. Um, and then he walks up toward the ship and of course he's stopped by two soldiers. Now that's, that's, that's a typical thing that happens every day in everybody's life. Your body says, I want those Cheetos. I want those Oreos. Right. And then the mind says, uh-uh, you're on a diet. <laughs> so, so that's kind of what we got going on. We got the mind and the body and we're fighting right now. So the two soldiers, they're telling Jack Sparrow, uh-uh, what are you doing here? And so what does the body do? He distracts him. He says, oh, why aren't you up at that uh, event that's going on? And they're like, huh? And, and then he flatters them. He's like, well, such great soldiers as you, you ought to be invited to this event. Why weren't you? Okay, so immediately he's able to induce guilt. And um, he, gets, he starts getting them talking and disagreeing with each other. And then because they're disagreeing, while they're busy disagreeing, he goes ahead and gets what he wants. And this is just how our brains work. This is exactly how our brains work. Is a physical body thinks it needs something to survive. The brain says, no, you can't have that. And so they, the, the brain, the reptilian mind, it will actually come up with something to distract you. It will, um, it will make you feel guilty. You'll find yourself feeling guilty. All these things to just get what it wants to survive, see? And that's where we're missing the heart. We need the heart to come in and say, okay, you want this, you want this. Can we find a, a system of control that's going to make everyone happy? Instead of only some people happy. And a lot of times our systems of control don't listen to the body and what the body wants. And that's just... That's never going to work long term. You're always going to be double-minded. And the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Well, we're all double-minded because we all have a body and a brain. And our systems of society show that in our families breaking apart, in our society um, espousing principles that honestly espouse murder, espouse corruption, and espouse destruction. That's indicative that our mind and our bodies are not working the way they're supposed to as a whole. So when we have it right, and I think a good, a good way to, to, to contemplate, do we have it right or not, is in studying our gospel, our spiritual beliefs, our spiritual foundation. And by studying that, there is a way to build a relationship between the mind and body, between the husband and wife, between the government and the, the people, that is righteous and that benefits the body. Can you imagine if your mind's job was actually supplying the body with what it needs and wants? The body wouldn't have to fight, would it? And the heart knows. And the heart knows when something was, was helpful discipline or was cruel discipline. The heart, the heart knows when something is building up or tearing down. And that's why we need to let our hearts influence us. 
But that doesn't mean the heart knows all the rules. It, it, it doesn't mean that the heart has the governing system. So the heart shouldn't become the head, but it should become the support. It should say, yes, I support this. No, I don't support this. It will help you know if you made the right decision or not. And what's great about the heart is it seems to be able to reach beyond its own boundaries to be able to have empathy and compassion for others, such that when someone else is happy, the heart is happy, as if itself was happy. The heart wants everyone to be happy. So long as you see every creature is equal to yourself. Now, if you don't see every creature is equal to itself, then the heart's not going to give reliable information. But that's a spiritual, that's why we need a spiritual foundation that would say everybody is endowed by a creator given unalienable rights that were created equal under God. That's a spiritual foundation that's going to allow the heart to make that right decision. But if you learn at an early age, oh, those people are lesser people. Those are the, the, the unlovable people. And you may think, oh, well, we, we don't do that anymore. Yes, we do. <laughs> In fact, some of the people I see that do it the most are some of the most religious people. Um, sometimes religious people are the ones that say that the non-religious people are the, the untouchables. They're the less deserving of love. And they actually, instead of becoming righteous, they actually become self-righteous, which is the opposite of what religion is all about. And, you know, how many times I've heard these religious people, they just dedicate their whole lives to religion, but then they say, oh, but so-and-so, you know, they're so fallen, they're not going to make it to heaven. And they produce, pronounce judgments because they think differently. Oh, my husband, you know, I'm saved, but he's not. <laughs> I'm spiritual, but my child isn't. You know, I, I just worry so much about my child because I'm so special and I'm saved, but he's not. Um, yeah, that's not the gospel. <laughs> that's, that's not what Jesus was about. Um, in fact, there's only one set of people that Jesus even said should keep commandments. He said the only people who should be keeping his commandments are those that love him. So if people don't know Jesus and therefore they're not keeping the commandments, um, uh, they're fine. Jesus isn't condemning them. He only asks for those that love him because if you love him, you know why you're keeping those commandments is because it's going to give you that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's going to give you what you've always wanted. And, and so it's those who are smart and wise and take truth to be their guide that are led along the path of living water and of righteousness. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of religious people have a religious spirit, which is the spirit of self-righteousness. And I'm sorry, but you just can't get into heaven if you think that you're better than other people. If you're more saved than other people, that is not the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel of Jesus Christ saves us in spite of our sins. Not because we don't have them. The gospel of Jesus Christ recognizes we all sin and Jesus is going to save you anyway. Hallelujah. What, what right do you have to say someone else can't be saved? <laughs> no, you know, the gospel of the church that I teach says that the heathen will be saved. Those who never knew God, they're all going to be saved. That's in the plan. If you're a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Doctrine and Covenants, it says the heathen will be saved after, after whatever time. There's, different, there's a time for everyone. If we love God, then we can't not love each other. We can't control each other. We're all free. So that was one of the main points I actually wanted to address today was the self-righteousness in the church. You guys, I, I just, uh, I'm not saying I know Jesus perfectly. I'm just saying what I do know of Jesus. I don't think he, uh, I think he thinks that's kind of silly.
that you're sitting there worried about your family member, your spouse not being being righteous enough when Jesus is saving you in spite of your sins. I mean, that's hilarious. That's one of the points I wanted to make. And I've gotten through a lot of them. Demonic possession and masculine and feminine being whole in our mind and body. And I'm sure I'll have a lot more to say on these very topics in the future, but uh, these are some of the topics that are near and dear to my heart. Oh, mental illness, things like that. Things that we need to talk about as a society. We need to start um, addressing them and finding answers for them. So I hope you enjoy listening and listen next time to the J Buck podcast. Thanks.